Mutability. Welcome to Nature's Lead. This is a podcast available at naturesleadcom and this is another Open Valley. This is Open Valley 2. Whitman, as in Walt Whitman. This is about a little theory I have about one of Whitman's poems. I think there's a little small hidden code in one of his most famous poems. I'm probably wrong, but... It seems to fit, and I'm going to share it with you. I've never shared it with anybody else, really. And I think you'll find it somewhat interesting, maybe uh, intriguing. And it's on a poem that I've read to you before. It's entitled, When I Heard the Learned Astronomer, which I read to you in, I believe, episode 11. So in this open valley, I'm going to read to you the poem first to refresh your memory on the poem. And then I'll dive into the details. So here's the poem, When I Heard the Learned Astronomer, by Walt Whitman. When I heard the learned astronomer, when the proofs, the figures, were ranged in columns before me, when I was shown the charts and diagrams to add, divide, and measure them, when I sitting heard the astronomer where he lectured with much applause in the lecture room, How soon unaccountable I became tired and sick, till rising and gliding out I wandered off by myself in the mystical moist night air, and from time to time looked up in perfect silence at the stars. So first of all, that's, as I mentioned before in episode 11, this is one of my favorite poems. It is referring to the idea of experiencing nature firsthand and uh, getting that raw connection with nature. It's it's a wonderful poem, and it's not necessarily being critical of science, but it's uh, certainly there's certainly a lot of meaning there and in those few lines. So here's my idea, a little bit out there probably, probably wrong because I from my research I've never seen anybody else mention it before. I always wanted to do a paper on it. I did a paper on it in college, but I wanted to do an official uh, published paper on it, but never never got around to, maybe someday. So here's the idea. I believe that the poem itself possibly represents our solar system. Not including the sun, just the planets, that each line represents a planet based on its length. So first of all, let's look at the lines. There are eight lines, and in the 1800s, there were basically eight planets at the time. The ninth planet, Pluto, wasn't discovered until the 1900s, or wasn't established as a planet until then. Neptune was the last planet discovered, I believe, in the early 1800s. So there were eight planets at the time, which would have logically made up the solar system in Whitman's mind. And there are eight lines in the poem. So, first of all, that's not that big a deal. Eight lines in a poem is is kind of a common thing. Two quatrains, two, two uh, a pairing of two four-line sections would easily bring eight in many poems. So that's not certainly anything to come up with uh, proof for that. But then when you start looking at the lengths of the lines, the idea starts to eke out, so to speak. 
The first line is fairly short, when I heard the learned astronomer. But when you start counting syllables, and remember that syllables are important to poets. Syllables make up meter and verse, and syllables are something that they often keep track of when they're writing poetry. Now, granted, Whitman's different because he, in a more open free verse style, uh, mimicked the biblical style of poetry, of a lot of cataloging and series, so he didn't do a lot of poetry that had strict rhyme schemes or meter or, or a strict number of beats per line. Uh, however, he does have a certain uh, rhythm to his writing and certainly was well aware of, of all of the hard fast rules of poetry and, and the history of it. And so he, as all poets are, whether free verse or, or no verse, etc., they, they pay attention to syllables and the emphasis and the sounds. So with that in mind, when you start counting the syllables of these lines, the first four lines, which each start out with the when word, when I heard, when the proofs, when I was, when I was sitting, all four lines get longer as they go along, uh, up to the climax of the fourth line, which is easily the longest. And this mimics the four outer planets, Neptune, Uranus, uh Saturn, and Jupiter. And Jupiter, which is the closest to the Sun of those four, is the largest, and Saturn the next, etc. So the lines very closely mirror that size lineage that you see in the real planets. Now, when you argue, when you play devil's advocate and argue the other side, what he's doing in the poem, and often the way it's taught, is that he is building up the frustration that he's feeling in the classroom or in the lecture hall. Uh, each line gets larger and larger as if, the, as if he's being overwhelmed by this lecture and all the, quote, uh, charts and diagrams, etc., the proofs, the figures. So it makes somewhat logic sense that he would make the lines larger and larger for each of those first four lines. So again, it could be a mere coincidence, which it most likely is. I'm not pushing anything here. So after the first four lines, you have this turn where then he starts to think about leaving. So the second set of four lines is where he becomes tired and sick and then glides out by himself and these four lines are very similar to the inner planets, which starts with Mars, then Earth as we move towards the Sun, uh, then Venus, then Mercury. And Mercury is the smallest planet. And the last line is the smallest line of the poem, looked up in perfect silence at the stars. Now, Earth is the biggest of the inner planets of those four. And it also is the biggest, syllable-wise, it's the biggest has the, the, the largest length of the last four lines. So it would make sense that the third to last would be Earth and be a little bit bigger, which it is. And the other two are exactly the same, Venus and Mars, which, which is somewhat close. Uh, and what's also interesting is when you look at some of the words, and again, this is 
you know how it is when you come up with theories, you can start pulling anything out to prove your uh, prove your theory. People can find things and everything to prove out some some uh, half baked idea. So so as I say this, take it with a grain of salt and realize I know that uh, you know maybe it is really reaching. But what's really interesting is let's say the fourth to last line is Mars. The line is how soon unaccountable I became tired and sick. And to me, that would reflect Mars, uh, the tired and sick, the red, the um, it's volatile, it's it's uh, it's something that kind of fits that line of uneasiness. And then the last line, looked up in perfect silence at the stars. I think it's interesting that the first planet, Mercury, or the last the last line, as you're finished with all these planets, when you're visibly looking at the poem. And you look at the last line. It says, looked up in perfect silence at the stars. And the line itself is as, as a person looking up at the stars, looking up at the rest of the poem. It's at the bottom and it's short. It's small in comparison to all these other lines. And interestingly enough, it says, look up in perfect silence. It remind, it, it, To me, in a way, it almost suggests to look at the poem in perfect silence. Don't read the poem, but look at the poem in silence and it becomes the stars the poem itself becomes the planets in the sky the lights in the sky and again it, it could be you know it, it, incredible reaching here but it's always fun to play with these things it's always fun to uh, I, in my life I've always enjoyed the idea that uh, some poets some writers uh, may have hid things in their writings it's kind of interesting to me and uh, the one other thing I'll mention that is interesting, well, two things actually. So the, so the second to last line is Venus. And the line in that, uh, the line for Venus mentions mystical moist night air. And Venus being of the cooler colors, kind of bluish green, uh, I think is what it appears to be. It reminds you of the mystical, moist night air. And so it fits the line. And then the last one is Earth. The third to the last line, to me, is the key, most important uh, line of the entire poem. It's also the one that is where he is acting. It's most focused on him, on the person, on humans, which is Earth. And it's also the the most uh, engaging, most most important line of the entire poem. The third to last line is, Till rising and gliding out, I wandered off by myself. It's a line where he leaves, where he gets sick of it all inside, and he himself acts and goes outside. And then after that, he is just an observer. So the line itself mirrors the importance of Earth, the third to last line, the third to last planet as you move into the sun. So I thought I'd share that with you. It's it's an interesting uh, uh, it's an interesting little aside about this poem, and I've never seen anybody mention that before. But there seems to be a lot of coincidences there, and to me it fits very nicely. And why wouldn't he do something like this? Why wouldn't he have his poem mirror the very thing he's talking about? Something natural. The the order and alignment of the planets which back then were as i said eight planets 
and they had pretty good uh, pretty good idea of size of the planets and and uh, were very aware of their astronomy and especially a poet who's probably very aware and has studied mythology uh, the Greek and Roman mythology and, and other historical writing that that involved astronomy uh, to a great length so I hope you found that interesting. <laughs> it's a very, very different from the normal uh, takes I have on uh, taking writing and, and trying to apply it to our everyday lives. Uh, but I think it's interesting, and I think it's fun to try to dive into the minds of some of these writers and see what other things they're putting in their poems, hidden codes, so to speak. Uh, Shakespeare has a couple interesting poems, a couple interesting things attached to him in history, which I'll talk about probably in another Open Valley, if, if not a, a normal episode. Next you'll be hearing me talk about conspiracy theories. <laughs> uh, you know, all the poets in the 1800s were speaking to me directly. It's uh, quite a finding. I read them aloud, played them backwards, and heard my name at least two or three times in the five hours of audio. No, don't worry. It's always nice to have a little change of pace. So thanks for joining me. And again, I wish you well. And don't forget to follow Nature's Lead.